one, episode four, The Deer Hunters. Rory is not doing so well at Chilton and decides she needs to push herself even if it's to a breaking point. Meanwhile, we meet a brand new character who may just change everything. Welcome to Stars Hollow. I'm your host, Rachel Foss. Today with me, I have my very good friend, Ginny. Do you want to be go by Ginny today? Yeah, let's do Ginny. That's my name. Don't wear it out. Ginny, tell me your relationship to Gilmore Girls. Well, I started watching Gilmore Girls from season three when it was on the air. A friend of mine in high school got me into it. Then they had Gilmore Girls Beginnings on the WB. So I watched that to like catch up. Oh my gosh, I don't remember that. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Gilmore Girls Beginnings was something that WB had done so you could like catch up on popular shows. It was like running season two or three, but then they would also be on Beginnings running season one. Wow, that is so interesting. I don't remember that. I just watched it when it was on. And then I remember watching it later when it was syndicated on ABC Family. Yeah. And then, well, as soon as it came out on DVD, I had it. So I have the full set on DVD thing with the little booklets that gave the, the, um, the references. After like season four, they were like, go to WB.com. And of course they took it down. Oh my God. I loved those reference book. And, you know, I talk about this on the podcast that one of the reasons why I'm doing it is to dive deeper into those references, especially 20 years later and the ones that weren't included. And there's so many that I just went right past because it just went over my head and I didn't think about it. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. Thanks again so much for being on here with me. And I miss your face and I'm so glad to see you. I haven't seen you since my birthday. For your birthday, we had a a yard sale where I got the dress that I'm currently wearing. I wore it for your podcast. Yeah, that's right. A Rachel original. And I'm so glad because it looks really good on you, especially with your hair. Thank you. I curled it because I was really bored. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And thanks again so much for doing this with me today. Are you ready? Want to get started? Let's do this thing. This is episode four, The Deer Killers, written by Jed Seidel and aired on October 26, 2000. The cold open starts with Rory and Lorelai walking into a Star's Hollow stationery store because Rory needs new supplies for Chilton. Lorelai wants it to be a little bit more fun and colorful, but Rory is just not having it. Rory comes in and she has a list ready to go. She needs legal pads, pens, number two pencils, three highlighters, an eraser, a staple remover, and a folder. She says a peachy folder. Have you ever heard that term before? No. And I think her entire system is really, really strange, especially her need for legal pads. Because legal pads famously do not have holes in them to put in a binder. I went to private school and I never knew any kids that used legal pads. We used notebooks. So at private school, were you very serious about your school supplies? Well, I am. 
and I am still, but that may just be my personality more than private school. Were other kids able to bring like cool trapper keepers with unicorns on them or fun pencils and things like that? Oh, yeah. We had all that stuff. I mean, I had stuff like that when I was younger. I mean, by high school, though, you know, most people didn't have that stuff. Well, I went to public school and I don't remember really caring. I don't think I shopped for myself, first of all. I'm pretty sure I just had whatever my parents gave me. And I do remember them getting me different colored, just regular notebooks, but they had the spiral bound, you know, I would write this is for geometry or this is for English, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so Jenny, how do you feel about this scene? One of my favorite jokes is the erasers on lithium. Bummer of a joke, but it is still funny. It's a little dark, suicidal erasers. Always made me chuckle. Well, Rory doesn't seem to be enjoying that joke as much as we did. Because she is very serious and she's got to get her very serious pens. Well, I think she always appreciates her mother's humor, but wants to take life and school a little bit more seriously than her mother does. Because Lorelai tends not to take things seriously unless she absolutely has to. Yeah, I think that we can all be in agreement of that. (laughs) Well, Rory must have been able to get all the supplies she needs because next we see her climbing down from her Connecticut transit bus carrying one bag, two bag, three bags makes three trips a little excessive but that's fine then oh next we see max medina max medina (laughs) max medina Mm, max medina i had a crush on him back then i had a crush on him in my 20s i have a crush on him now i don't care who knows it i love max medina i love him max medina is played by scott cohen and he still makes me tingle all over I wrote that in my notes. I don't know if I quite felt that way about it. (laughs) Mr. Medina teaches English literature in room 108. Curious what the other teacher teaches. I I know you weren't here with me last episode, but in episode two, we're actually introduced to another literature class with a very different teacher. And they were talking about Russian literature. So I wonder, I've always wondered if that was a literature class, if that was a Russian literature class. But now we know that we are in Mr. Medina's class. It's room 108. This is English literature. And I know that because it says so on the blackboard. And per the blackboard, today they are learning about Elizabethan literature from 1575 to 1610 with the quote, Bare Ruined Choirs, which is from Shakespeare's Sonnet 73. And here is an excerpt from that very sonnet just for us. That time of year thou mayst in me behold, when yellow leaves or none or few do hang. Upon those boughs which shake against the cold, bare ruined choirs, where late the sweet birds sang. That's lovely. I love that. You knew how to write that guy. <laughs> I know. Below that it says Shakespeare's World, 1564 to 1616. With the line, if Shakespeare were alive today and that he was left-handed, I checked... All correct information, correct dates and everything, was really left-handed. Huh, fun fact. Yeah. Well, they just did a Shakespeare paper. Mr. Medina's handing them back. As expected, Paris does excellent. Louise also does excellent. Rory? Not so good. She got a D. And Paris is going to remind her of it and just make her feel as bad about it as possible. And of course, the hits just keep on coming. Rory exits the classroom and who's there waiting for her? 
good old Tristan. Tristan. Oh, God, fucking Tristan. Who, again, I would have slapped by now, but Rory is a lot nicer of a person than I am. And she would have gotten in trouble for slapping him, but he wouldn't get in trouble for harassing her. Oh, absolutely. Unfortunately, that's probably still true today. That was me when I was in, not in high school, but that was me when I was like very, very little. And kids were giving me a hard time and I would hit them and then I would get in trouble for hitting them and they wouldn't get in trouble for bullying me. So true stories. These are true stories. And let me ask you this question. Both of us being cis women. Were you also told as a child that the boys are being mean to you because they like you? Probably was. I don't remember that, but I'm sure it came up. Oh, I definitely was told as a child, which is a big no-no because then you're taught that it's okay for men to be mean to you. It's a very dangerous standard. I definitely was told that growing up. I think it's a little bit better today, but girls are still treated way worse than the boys. They still send girls home if they're dressed inappropriately. You know, et cetera, et cetera. It's made very clear that Tristan is actually really into her. He's just terrible. He's too cool to just be nice to her because you weren't even asking her out. You weren't becoming friends with her. Like you weren't getting any like positive reaction from her. So what? what's your end game here? Maybe if he was here now, if Tristan was real and here now, he would say, I don't even know myself. <laughs> I mentioned this in a previous podcast episode and I made it clear that it's not high schoolers fault it's not personal but they're all stupid because their brains aren't developed and it's again it's not personal it's not their fault but like you're stupid and so is everyone else you know and you're not going to be stupid until you grow up a little bit and have some experience and your brain fully develops and then you're like what was I thinking why did I do that what was that about it's tricky for Tristan He can't handle it, so he just has to do the best he can do, and he has to work with what he knows. So, of course, he sends off Rory with, bye, Mary. Ugh. Until I watched this show, I had never heard of kids doing that. Yeah, I didn't hear about it then. I haven't heard about it since. I don't know. But let's let's go back a little bit to the D. First of all, that is the largest D. Largest letter in the world that I have seen. And he puts it on the front page of the paper. Now, when I was in my undergrad and you turned in a physical paper and got it back, your grade was on the last page so that other people couldn't see it so that you could easily hide it. You know, Mr. Medina is supposed to be the cool, nice teacher. I think that's pretty mean. So anyone who's around her can look at it and be like, oh, you suck. Like, (laughs) Mr. Medina, get a clue. That is so funny, and I did not think about it that way, but that, oh you're right. Oh my god, right. that is so, that's just the meanest thing. When Roy first meets Headmaster Charleston, and he pretty much makes it clear that failure isn't an option, and I talked about how that's not really a good idea because you have to let kids fail because it's a part of emotional learning. These kids in this school are not emotionally learning, so they're probably all going to grow up to be psychopaths. Very dysfunctional. You you spend the rest of your life trying to kind of live up to that expectation of like extreme success that you were set up for. Me personally, I t- I'm pretty sensitive. I take things on, but it's taken me a long time now in my 30s to be like there are different definitions of success. I'm glad you're here because you can give that private school perspective because I, I again, I don't know. I've never been to a private school, so I don't know what it was really like. Cut to the Independence Inn. In walks Drella. Rolls right over Michelle's Italian loafers. Italian loafers. (laughs) And of course they row. Drella says, back off, Chevalier. 
Drella is referring to French performer Maurice Chevalier. He is best known for his signature song, Thank Heavens for Little Girls, which actually does show up in a later episode, which is from the 1958 musical Gigi. And he was also considered the epitome of the classic Frenchman. At the peak of his career, he was the highest paid actor in Hollywood. Of course, Michelle gets mad because he hates Trella and she just makes fun of him for being a baby and says, I wonder if Versace makes a pacifier. Versace, of course, is the very fancy Italian fashion line. Now, don't be sad, Jenny, but this is the last episode where we will see Drella. I know. I love her. However, this is not the last time we will see or hear from Alex Borstein. More on that later. So Lorelai comes in, she breaks up the fight. Drella, go to your corner. Michelle, grow up. And she sees something. I want to go on record by saying, I love Michelle. I love Michelle. I will always love Michelle. I love Michelle today, tomorrow, and forever. Good to know. How do you feel about Drella? I love Drella, and I'm sad that that she was only for the first couple of episodes. I personally am pretty okay with the fact that she leaves that character. I think it's a little over the top, because in real life, even though she was a great harpist, there's no way she would get away with such aggressive behavior at a higher end in like that. But then again, maybe, you know, the the idea is maybe that she can get away with it because she's a great harpist playing at, you know, this inn in a small town. Right. It's got to be expensive, though, too. Well, she has such a bad attitude. Maybe her rates have gone down. There you go. Maybe that's why they keep her on. She's a good deal. Lorelai looks over and grabs a magazine from the counter, gets very excited and runs into Suki. Apparently, Suki's review for her food is in, and it's very good. Except there's one problem. The magic risotto. How dare he? How dare he i remember having risotto a few times but i don't remember being blown away by any risotto i've ever had so yeah i would say that the risotto i've ever had in my life is fine it's not a dish i normally order because i find risotto to be fine she must make a mean risotto but maybe the writer just thinks risotto is fine in general like me Rory walks in like a friggin' donkey. Yeah, full of books. And then they, they read through the review. And it's a very good review. They call her food a religious experience. She clearly is very hard on herself. Do you think Suki also went to private school and is still as an adult <laughs> trying to work through those? <laughs> well, Lorelai wants to celebrate because she's thrilled about it and it also makes her look good because she's the manager right so she wants to go out on the town let's go we're three women we're cool we're having a great day we have stuff to celebrate oh shoot the linen delivery so everyone just goes about their business rory continues to eat chocolate and be sad and says you go girl which is oh my childhood the days of my youth <laughs> news is done a grisly thing happened in a small town where no grisly thing has ever happened Man, Lorelai, she's studying. She's your daughter. She's in high school. She just started a new school. It's intense. Can you be a fucking grown-up for once? Smart girls are mean. Because she won't get ice cream with you. Seriously, just like, are you four? I when you're a student, unfortunately, it means that when you come home at the end of the day, 
you still have more shit you have to do. I didn't go to private school, but I had stuff to do after school every day. Like I had papers to write and things to study. Right. You have homework. That's normal. She's even trying to be compromising. She says, I'll be there in just a sec. Like you got to give me five minutes to finish this because I'll watch the news with you. But like I'm in the middle of something. Now, this is your first episode with me, Ginny, but in the first three episodes, we made it very clear that one of the overlying themes in this show is boundaries. Lorelai has really bad boundaries. She does. She's not great with them. I don't think she really learned proper boundaries from her like relationship that we've seen so far with her parents. I think they have so many boundaries that she didn't want to be like them, but then ended up being Miss No Boundaries. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Marco. Polo. We see Rory walking over to Kim's Antiques. Also, Ginny, I'm going to ask you this. The music that they play during that transition, it always makes me think of the DVDs. Remember those special extras? Yeah. At the end when they would go and talk to the actors. Mm -hmm. Every time I hear that particular music sequence, I always think of that. La, la. That's so funny. Rory is coming over to see Lane. She can't find her because Kim's Antique, though it has lots of wonderful things, it is what we would call beautiful chaos. So Rory is trying to find Lane in this chaos, which Lane, you could have just said I'm in the kitchen, but what's the fun in that? Marco Polo is so much more enjoyable. Well, and would she even be able to know where the kitchen was if she was in amongst all that <laughs> well, she's, stuff? She's been there before. I'm sure she could figure it out. I love the Marco Polo because it just brings back memories of times gone by in the pool as a kid playing Marco Polo. Did you play that as a kid? Yeah, of course. I still play it when I'm looking for my mother in our house. I'll go, Marco. She'll just tell me where she is with Polo. Oh, that's really cute. So then they, they get in right away. You know, there's someone trying to buy the table they're sitting on. She has this huge stack of notes that's a foot deep. It's insane. Also, let's talk about that table because, first of all, there's nothing great about that table. And it's $375. That's way overpriced. Unless that was like Ben Franklin's table, there's no reason why anybody should want that table. If it was Ben Franklin's table, it would be worth like thousands of dollars, not $375 for being Ben Franklin's table. And it would probably be in a museum. Poor Lane is eating a 12-calorie rice cake. Rory, being a friend, gives her chocolate-covered death in a candy bar form. So here's something that's changed in me in watching it as an adult. Mrs. Kim is right. She leads a very healthy lifestyle. She's the only healthy person on this show other than Michelle. And they mock everyone healthy endlessly. Luke is pretty healthy. Luke is pretty healthy. That's right. That's right. And they always mock the healthy people and eat horribly. But of course, because it's TV, never get fat. I think that you're just defending Mrs. Kim because she's vegan. She is vegan, and I want to have dinner at Mrs. Kim's every night. I would totally <laughs> eat Mrs. Kim's dinner. I bet Mrs. Kim would be a very interesting dinner companion as well. I mean, Snickers bars are really terrible for you. Yeah, but Lane is a child. She's got to be able to have a little bit of fun. That's true. Everything in moderation. Exactly. And that's what she should be teaching Lane, not complete abstinence. Because we need to have a little bit of pleasure as well. And she also has to make sure her daughter explores so she can find out what she likes. Because then later, maybe she'll become a binge eater. Yeah, that's true. Like Lorelai with her boundaries, she'll veer in the opposite direction and become a horribly unhealthy eater just to rebel against her mother. 
now Rory is considering whether this new school is the right thing for her because it's very, very hard. I bet that D did not make her feel better. Especially with how big it was on the page. There's another reason why Rory might miss Stars Hollow High. Because the new guy was asking about her. Well, we heard about this in episode one, right? That she almost didn't go to Chilton because of the new kid. And now she's pretending like she isn't interested in the new kid at all. I think that is what we call self-preservation. Because she has made this decision and now she's very unhappy at her new school. At least today she is. She's had a very bad day at school. The last thing she wants to hear is that there's something good waiting for her at Stars Hollow High. So she's probably trying to convince herself it's fine. It doesn't matter. Everything's okay. Moving on. They try again to find a place to study. But nope, that's sold. So where are they supposed to study? Go study in your room, Lane. Yeah, you do have a bedroom. Why don't you go upstairs to your bedroom? Unless Mrs. Kim doesn't want her to have people upstairs in her bedroom. Even Rory. Also extremely possible. Well, it's a beautiful day. They could go to the gazebo, but they can go to the library. But either way, Lane hates sales. We move back over to the Independence Inn where we see Drella and she is playing Iron Man by Black Sabbath on the harp. Lorelai doesn't want any of that. No Black Sabbath, no Steely Dan, no Boston. No Queen, which I would love to hear Queen played on a harp. I don't know about Boston, Steely Dan, or uh, Black Sabbath, but Queen, I I could get down with harp style. And I get it. They're trying to go for a certain ambiance at the Independence Inn. But I mean, who doesn't like Queen? Well, Drella, of course, is Drella. So she just rolls her eyes and says, I'm the Artie Shaw of Harpists. Artie Shaw was a clarinet player during the Jazz Age and was a very popular and well-known big band leader. I have no idea what that has to do with what's happening to Drella. Maybe he took a lot of requests. Maybe. Maybe she's saying, oh, I'm just an Artie Shaw. I just will just lead a big band. and Or maybe he was limited to what he had to play. Maybe. But he was a big band leader. Well, maybe there was music he wanted to play and he wasn't allowed to. I definitely did not find any information on that when I looked him up, but it's very possible. Love that Mozart. So, I hear the huckleberry crop is going to totally suck this year. (laughs) Such a random line. Poor Jackson clearly has no idea how to communicate with women. Well, Lorelai walks into the kitchen and she just wants some coffee so that she can be prepared to go to her first parent-teacher conference at Chilton. But Suki is in her own world right now. She's still very depressed about the review. She is not getting over it. Even during Lorelai's very fascinating anecdote about bringing scrunchies to Chilton. Scrunchies don't belong anywhere, but that's my personal opinion. I agree. We finally learn why Suki is so upset about that review. There's a little bit more to that risotto than we realize. That is the magic risotto. She gave it to her mother on her deathbed and she lived three more years. And she lived three more years. Risotto on your deathbed that keeps you alive three more years. That's pretty intense. Sounds like a really good risotto, man. I'm I know. starting to feel like I should try this risotto. In walks Jackson. So in the past two episodes, we see Jackson. In every single episode, Jackson is not very good at his job. In episode two, 
he brings Suki very watery peaches. Oh yeah, that don't roll. In episode three, she specifically asked for strawberries and he brought her blueberries and then got mad when she found good strawberries. I'm just thinking, Jackson, you need to get it together if you're gonna if you're gonna you're you're gonna lose business. He maybe needs to uh, develop a better system for his whole business operation. I also have wondered in watching the show, he seems to have a lot of vegetables available at all sorts of different times. How would that be possible in New England? And maybe that's why he's not always able to come through for her. So we talked about in the second episode, I know you haven't heard that episode yet, but in the second episode, I noticed that there was a sticker on one of the peaches. And so my theory is Jackson tried to grow a crop of peaches, but they were bad. So he had to circumgate them and get them from a grocer. Which, of course, if you're getting them from a grocer, they're traveling from somewhere else, which means they're going to be picked before they're ripe. So they're going to be a little watery. Well, the other option may be that he's the produce guy. So he may grow as much as he can and then is like the intermediary for the rest. So he obtains the produce either from his own farm or from whatever other sources, you know, then he has connections to other farmers or to other like grocers. or And so then that's how he like obtains it and gets it to Suki. If there any listeners out there who work in New England produce, let us know. Now we transition back over to Chilton, but at night, Lorelai has made it to the parent-teacher conferences with Mr. Max Medina. She fumbles in, what in the world? (laughs) I laughed at that when I was a kid. (laughs) But in order to correct her imbalance, she grabs a cup of coffee, but Jesus, Mary Joseph and the camel, it's bad. That's one of my favorite things. I say that to this day. I said that the other day. Jesus, Mary, Joseph and the camel. And it made someone laugh, which made me very happy. They're learning about the upcoming AP test. I took AP English when I was a senior, but I don't remember taking a test for it. You may not have to take the AP test to pass the class, but in order for it to be the AP classes to be considered for college credit, then you have to take like a standardized AP test. So if you take a lot of AP classes in high school, then you may be able to like start a semester into college when you start college or already through high school. Okay, that definitely did not happen to me. So it probably wasn't the credit. I just took the class. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for helping me with that. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Some AP details. And these parents are extremely intense. I can see where their children get it from because they're insane. Oh, yeah, they have to succeed. And I absolutely love when Lorelai sits down and she's very interested. She wants to be supportive of her daughter. She's interested in this test. She wants to be more involved. And that Chilton dad was like, what's exciting about a test? And Lorelai says, do you play golf? Yes. Will you explain yours and I'll explain mine. Well, in our last episode, we had Rory and Richard go to the golf course. Um, Okay. And I did talk about how I could not care less about golf if I tried. I have zero interest in golf myself. I would much rather just take the walk. Let's just go hiking and not play golf. I don't get it. Well, it's a good walk spoiled, as they say. The parents are not for her. They think that Rory must be a scholarship student, which, of course, we know that she is not. They're mad about the scrunchy vote, which who knew that these parents could get so into the school that they'd be upset by a scrunchy vote. Now, I wish I could have heard Lorelai's comebacks that she had prepared. Yeah, that would have been good. But Mr. Medina is very supportive. He really likes Rory. He really wants her to succeed. 
that is when Lorelai finds out that Rory actually got a D. And that's why she was not being very fun when Lorelai wanted to have fun. So at least in this moment, Lorelai snaps into her mom mode. And she's just got to get out of there. But not before Max and Lorelai have, you know, a little bit of a moment. little flirtation. Got a little flirty over here. Got a little flirty over there. And he's a really good guy, and he doesn't seem too stressed about Rory getting a D. Yeah, because he believes in her. Yeah, which is good. But for someone who believes in her, he sure put a big D on her paper. <laughs> You're never going to let that go. No, I'm never going to let it go. Miss Redina asks Lorelai if she's a B-52s girl. No, I'm a klutz girl. And she had that in the car. But if she has a random B-52s shirt in the car, wouldn't that make her a B-52s fan? Or does she just have like a random collection of shirts in her car? I think she probably just has a random collection of stuff in her car. The B-52s was an 80s rock band famous for their song, Love Shack. Mm -hmm. Love Shack is a little Little place place where we can get get together. Hey, do you know the Love Shack dance? There's a Love Shack dance? Yes. I've done it at a few, like, weddings. Apparently, like, I've asked this to other people. Other people don't know it. It's kind of like the Macarena and the Cupid Shuffle. But it's just for Love Shack. Oh, okay. The Love Shack is a little love place where... And then you, like, do this. And, like, you turn and you do it. It's it, like it's kind of like Macarena. Yeah, it looks just but like the Macarena. Love I love that song. I love the B-52s. I think they're great and weird and fun. So in the next scene, we cut to Rory at Luke's. She's studying, but she is very frustrated. I think that she just feels very overwhelmed with what's happening. She needs to do better. She wants to do better. And she's just not getting it. So Luke sees her frustration. She throws a pencil. He brings her a pie. He don't make the rules. He just serves them. Well, Lorelai comes in. Now she knows exactly what's going on. She's there to comfort Rory. She gets it. And she asks Luke, she's having pie? Did she even have dinner? And he says, you raised her. I just serve. Bitch, you brought her that pie. She didn't ask for it. <laughs> he's trying He's trying to get out of it. He leaves it up to her. He just brings her pie. But he also knows they love sweets and they love pie yeah he really does care about her yeah he really does i think he likes it when she comes over and does her homework with him and he can kind of be there for her well lorelei sits down and she tells rory i was at the parent teacher conference and i know all your secrets so now i'm in the know we gotta talk about it i understand you got a d it's not the end of the world we'll get through this i'm here for you rory says it was humiliating And Lorelai says, you once admitted that you loved Saved by the Bell. What's more humiliating than that? Um, A lot of things. That was a good show. And that joke feels flat. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of Saved by the Bell, though, have you ever seen the video Zach Morris is Trash? No. What is this? Oh, my God. They're they're so funny. They're, They're like online videos. It always starts. 
Zach Morris is trash. And it's just a guy who narrates each episode of Saved by the Bell. But the whole point is to prove that Zach is a trash person. (laughs) And it's so funny. I highly recommend check out one of the episodes. Of course, one of the best ones is when What's-Her-Face gets addicted to (laughs) drugs. Oh, yeah, that's right. Elizabeth Berkeley. Oh, my God. I remember that name. Yes. It's just so funny how they describe it. I mean, but it is true. Like, Zach actually was like such a douchebag as a character but the way they do it in zach morris's trash is so funny i highly recommend it google it it's really funny the one thing that stuck out at me about this scene as well was that lorelei is pushing rory to be like why didn't you tell me why didn't you tell me rory was sitting there trying to study and lorelei wanted to go get ice cream why didn't she say you know hey what's what's going on like checking in on her kid i think that lorelei just hasn't gotten there yet in terms of her emotional maturity she's not gonna think that way she's just going to think it's business as usual and rory was always a good student so So why would this be any different? There's no problems. Right. And I think a little bit is that she would expect Rory to tell her. I don't think Lorelai would ever assume that if there was a problem that Rory wouldn't go to her right away. But now she's being supportive and wants to help her get an A on this test and thinks that she can do it, but is only going to bet a dollar for it. Well, she did get a D. She's trying to make her daughter feel better and try to give her a little bit more confidence. And she's doing it with humor and love. You can see like that guard on Rory is melting away in that joke. She starts to soften up. You know, Lorelai's humor is being put to good use. Back at Chilton, Rory is on a bench studying in walks Paris and she just cannot let it go. Paris recites Shakespeare's sonnet 116, which I know well because of one of my favorite movies. Sense and Sensibility with Emma Thompson and Kate Winslet. Yep, that's how I know it too. I have it memorized because yeah, of that me movie. Too. <laughs> me too. And it's a beautiful yes. it's a beautiful sonnet. It's a beautiful sonnet. And it's a beautiful movie. It's when I first fell in love with Alan Rickman. I don't know why she's so competitive. And it's also wasting a good friendship. Yeah, a good potential friendship. She doesn't seem to value friendships very much. Now we're back at the Independence Inn and there's risotto and risotto. Lorelai, try this risotto. Try this one too. It's hot. It's hot. It's hotter. What's with all the risotto, Suki? She's spiraling out of control. She's trying to prove her point that she's made all these risottos and hers is still the best risotto. Also spending kind of a decent amount of the inn's money making a lot of risottos just to prove a point about one critic's review. Oh yeah, we've talked about this before in a previous episode about how it's very clear that the Independence Inn caters to Suki's genius. And we do accept and understand that Suki is a culinary genius. You know, with how clumsy she is and she starts fighting and she hurts her staff etc and it's overlooked because they have suki that's like the whole thing with drella they cater to the insanity of the of these wonderful talents (laughs) (laughs) exactly so lorelei says what's with all the risotto are we going theme is it going to be like the scotch tape store no this is an example of something that i never knew the reference to i just accepted it and moved on or maybe i thought like oh is there like a actually a scotch tape store somewhere no Lorelai is referencing the Scotch Tape Store skit from an episode of Saturday Night Live back in 1978, hosted and starring the Fred Willard. Oh! Rest in peace, Fred Willard. Rest in peace, Fred Willard. We miss you. We love you. 
That is crazy specific reference. Lorelai would have been like, I think, eight or nine when that skit came out. Yeah. So that's so random. Well, Suki is determined to figure out the problem with this risotto. What happened? Why does Lucian Mills feel this way? So she brings in the waiter who served him. And in walks waiter guy. He's actually credited as waiter even though we know from later in the episode that his name is brian so i don't know why he's not credited on this episode as brian he's played by actor richard topple and fun fact he will appear later in another gilmer girls episode as a doctor oh my god i never noticed that i liked him in this scene i i always remembered him well because i, I liked his line and the way he delivered it can I be fired now? Please. <laughs> just like, yes. I don't think I don't think I would ever feel so comfortable with my boss as to say, can I be fired now and not be fired? <laughs> I think everybody knows Lorelai is a pretty cool boss. Yeah. Like she gets stuff done, yeah. but you can still be a human being. She has a good sense of humor, of course. And Lorelai plays right along with it. Absolutely. So now we're back at the Gilmore house. Lorelai stand by her word. She is helping Rory study for her upcoming Shakespeare test. And it looks like they're really hunkered down, really getting into it. They mentioned the comedy of airs, Richard III. I never had any of my parents, like, help me study like that. That would have been nice. I probably would have been a lot more into studying than I was. You never had your parents help you study? Not at all. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. My, my parents helped me study all the time. My dad would sit and help me with my math homework. My mom would often come and sit with me while I was doing homework because I would have trouble just, like, staying still and doing it. She would say, well, why don't I come sit with you? And then she would read or work on something that she was doing, and it would kind of keep me sitting there and actually doing my homework and getting it done. That is so nice. I wish I had that. I did not have that. My parents wouldn't stay up late with me, and then I would come home after school and probably go to sleep and sleep until the next morning. 100%. I did that in college for sure. Like, I would stay up all night writing a paper, and then I'd hand it in, and I'd be like, I'm done for the day. And there's something so glorious about procrastinating and then getting it done in one big burst and then just crashing and feeling so relieved. I almost think of it fondly because to get me to stay up, I would drink Dr. Pepper. I would just have like two bottles of Dr. Pepper that I would drink all night long to keep me up. But Lorelai brings Rory some coffee and Ovaltine. Which is coffee mixed with cocoa powder, basically, hot chocolate powder. Yeah. And I didn't have my parents do that either, but it makes me think of my Dr. Pepper. My parents were not, would not have encouraged me in coffee as a teenager. I started drinking fake coffee my senior year. And by fake coffee, I mean gas station cappuccino. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. We would wake up super early and, and on our way to school would stop by the gas station and be like, yeah, we're going to get the cappuccino. Yeah. And we thought we were so cool. We used to get coffee coolers from Caribou, which are basically like milkshakes. <laughs> I also quickly learned about myself at that age that if I had any coffee, then I was insane. I am the body type that is pretty sensitive to caffeine. I look like I've been taking speed because I'll just be like, hey, hi, how's it going? What are you up to? What's going on? Is everything okay? What are you doing? And I just, I sound like a meth addict. 
I kind of want to see that personally as a friend of Jenny. I want to see Caffeine Jenny one day, maybe for my birthday next year. Anytime you want, but you have to be prepared to suffer the consequences. Thankfully for Rory, this coffee and Ovaltine is exactly what she needed to get through the rest of her studies. By this time, she's knocking it out of the park. She didn't get one answer wrong. She is set for that test. But even though she's been doing really well in the studying, she still insists on studying a little bit more and she falls asleep at the table. I think that Lorelai should have put a stop to that and made her go to bed. I think she should have been the one to set an alarm, Lorelai. This is is only the fourth episode of this show, and this is the second time in which Lorelai failed as a parent by not setting an alarm properly for her daughter's school. She's not great at the alarms, Or great at the, like, schedules. Lorelai wakes up in the middle of the night, and the song that's playing over them is My Darling by Wilco. And that's extra special, because Wilco's from Chicago. Well, suddenly it's morning, and the Gilmore girls are still asleep. Rory wakes up panicked. Lorelai not so much, because she's been sleeping at a right angle. But if they don't hurry and leave right now, Rory is going to miss her test. Then she is going to drive her and, oh, she has a meeting at eight that I guess she can't miss. And first of all, yes, you can. This is your daughter. You're part of the reason why she's late and didn't wake up properly. Skip it. Call Michelle. Michelle's there. Someone else is there. I know that she's the manager, but this is one time and it's very, very important. Too bad. Right. This is also your fault. So take the responsibility and drive your daughter to school. Secondly, Rory is not 16 yet, so she cannot legally drive herself to school. Oh my God. I hadn't put that together literally until just now. So Lorelai refuses to give up five. Thank you, Winston. For the audience, Winston just walked in front of our camera (laughs) and uh, I just Uh, saw I just saw a screen of cat. This is the moment when Lorelai just needs to call in to come in late. She can call and tell Suki that the meeting is postponed by 30 minutes and she'll be late. Yeah. That's not a big deal. It's not like she's a doctor or nobody's lives are in her hands. She works at an inn. Like, I think exactly. You know, we're not trying to demean someone who works at an inn, but it's not time sensitive. Right. Exactly. You know, it's a small town inn. I'm not really sure who she would be having a meeting with. That would be so important that it can't be like postponed because her daughter needs her. Absolutely. First of all, she's the manager. She gets to decide. So you call in and you say, there is an emergency. I'll be 30 minutes late. Not a big deal. And don't have your under 16-year-old unlicensed daughter drive the car. She's already under a lot of pressure, and now you are putting even more anxiety on top of her. And so, of course, what happens next happens. Rory runs out the door, keys in hand. She's driving down Maple Tree Lane, and she has to stop and ask Lane about her notes. Rory, it's too late for that. You don't need more notes. You need to get to fucking school. Like, put the phone down. You're truly young to be driving. You shouldn't be talking on a cell phone in a car anyway. Like, just focus. You need to focus and get to school. She's clearly already starting to lose it. Oh, yeah. This is the beginning of her spiral, for sure. And if that wasn't bad enough, here comes the deer. Deer hits her while she's on the phone with Lane. Which is kind of hilarious. I laugh every time when she's sitting in the car and it just jostles and then a deer runs by and you're like, what the fuck just happened? 
yes, a deer hit you, but you're fine. The car's fine. Go. I appreciate that you want to make sure that it's okay. But it ran with its antlers and their antlers are very strong and meant to be hitting things. And it ran off, so it's clearly not injured. So just And again, this is not helping her spiral. It's definitely pushing her down into the depths until Elaine has to remind her, Rory, your test, it's 740. Let's also go back and talk about first Lane's fun closet. Oh, and yeah. which is super duper fun and lots of joy happening in there. And also, how does her mother not know about it? Does her mother just never open the closet in her daughter's room? That's weird to me for how protective she is and like watchful she is of Lane. And then also randomly how much Lane knows about deer enough to know that they like salt. I knew that. I thought that was common knowledge. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I just know a lot about deer and I just didn't realize that I know more about deer than other people. So you you and Lane know, know more about deer than I do. So that that's where we are in deer knowledge. It's 740 and Rory has got to go. Now, we know from a previous episode that it takes 30 minutes to get from Stars Hollow to her school. And it's 740 and she's already out at least five or ten minutes. I think that she should have been able to get there in time. But unfortunately, that is not the case. She runs in and Mr. Medina says, I'm sorry, you're late. Class starts promptly at 8.05. You've missed it. You have to wait in the hall. But she's not having it. Rory is trying to convince him. She says, no, I am prepared for this test. Listen, you have no idea what happened. I was studying all night. I missed my bus. You have to let me take this test. I know everything about Shakespeare. She mentions Shakespeare's birthday, which is kind of a joke because no one actually knows Shakespeare's birthday. It's celebrated on April 23rd, but that's because it's a couple days before his baptism, which is recorded. So history has just decided Shakespeare was born on April 23rd, but nobody really knows. She knows Shakespeare's mother's name, Mary Arden, and she mentions that she knows what kind of ink Shakespeare used and we do actually know what he used he used iron gall ink in case you ever wanted to know what kind of ink Shakespeare used I had never thought about it before but I'm excited to know these things I like fun facts so this is fun for me oh good that's why you're my favorite guest (laughs) unfortunately that is not enough to convince Mr. Medina he just can't do it Rory you've got to leave Not before Paris makes one last statement. She's got to kick Rory when she's down. She whispers across the desks, loser. And finally, we see Rory losing it. Finally. Yes. Let it free. Let it free. Paris has had it coming and she's finally spiraled out enough to let her have it. What's wrong with you, Quippy? Why so silent? You have everything. Now he sees Rory has officially spiraled out. Completely lost it. He drags her out of class, but not before the most satisfying part of that scene. My name is Rory! (laughs) As I max out the volume on this recording. Well, now we're back at the Independence Inn so we can find out what was so important, Lorelai. Whatever. I'm still not over it. I'm still mad at her about that. But at least Lorelai looks hella good. I love that outfit. Me too, me too. I wrote it down. I made a note. That's a really good outfit on her. 
lavender chiffon top with a dark leather purple pencil skirt. Mm-mm-mm. Yum, yum. Look, I would wear that today. I would 100% wear that today. You would look good in that. Lorelai goes past Drella. What about Pat Benatar? Sounds great. Can she play the harp? Drella, oh, yeah. you were on your last leg. Maybe that's why we never see Drella again, because Lorelai is just like, I am done. I'm hiring Pat Benatar. You're out of here. Oh, my God. It would be so awesome if she hired Pat Benatar. That would be the most rocking in. Just then, Lorelai hears a screech from the kitchen. She runs in, and Suki is very excited. She found the receipt. She knew the shift that Brian was working because Celia kicked him out. Well, because, you know, he didn't want kids. Women always think they can change men. Suki discovers that he served him the Riesling Oh, Brian. That is a terrible wine to go with a risotto. The risotto is a very base food and Riesling is a very acidic wine. What kind of wine should he have had with the risotto? I would have said a Chardonnay. Listeners, I hope you're making notes. (laughs) I am not a wine expert. Do not consult me, but that's just my recommendation. Um. Nope. I'm going to give them your address (laughs) so they, they know where to send the hit mail if it doesn't work out. Email me never with all of your uh, wine recommendations. I will never respond to them or ever give you wine advice. I just drink a lot of it. Chardonnay tends to be more buttery in flavor. So that's why I think it would go well with the, the creaminess of a risotto. You just said more about wine than I've ever known in my entire life. So I'm still <laughs> going to consult you about wine. All right. So anyway, she found out it was the wine, solved the mystery of the risotto. We can stop making risotto. She might stop making risotto, but Suki is not done. And we'll see that later. And we also learned Celia may be better off without him because he can't serve a good wine. But I also love that moment because Suki just gets really low and she's like, Celia is better off without him. Yeah. And then really gossipy intimate. And then they both physically shake it off. Like, okay, we can't, anyway, we have to focus. We can't gossip right now. We also learned that Jackson got into a fist fight with his tomato grower. So this answers one of our questions. He has other people that are growing tomatoes for him or other produce. He maybe grows some stuff himself, but he's also just a sourcer of produce. And that makes a lot of sense now that we know it. And also, I would like to know what in the heck he got into a fist fight with his tomato grower about. Well, Michelle interrupts this gossip session because someone is on the phone with a funny accent. Turns out that the man on the phone was Headmaster Childston. We see Lorelai walking into Chilton and Rory is out on a bench looking shameful. She finds out that Rory was not allowed to take her test, so now she's pissed. She walks into the office and there are Headmaster Charleston and Mr. Medina sipping on their tea. Ooh, like little dainty little petals. And they don't even offer her tea. Did you notice that? I was thinking about that during this scene. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. May have forfeited her right to tea when she came in so hot. Maybe. But when she comes in, he says, oh, Miss Gilmore, lovely to see you. Then you should say, can I offer you some tea? And then she could say, you can go fuck yourself with your tea. Either way, Lorelai is there now. And she wants to talk about why Rory wasn't able to take her test. Would it have been better if they had just stayed home and Lorelai had called in and said Rory was sick? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happens at that school if you are horribly ill, like actually horribly ill on the day of a test. Do they not have any exceptions instead of educating her and exactly what we've been talking about today, giving her the space to grow? And then Mr. Medina says, I'm sorry, there was nothing I could do. And I'm thinking, uh, yeah, 
you could have let her take the test, Max. If he had sent her into the hallway with the test and just had her take it in the hallway, they would have been able to get away with that. No one would have said anything. No one would have known. And she could have taken her test. And at the very least, maybe he couldn't count that as the test, but he could have counted it as extra credit like we talk about later. So there's a lot of things that Max could have done. I think he is catering to the bureaucracy at that school. Well, he's also doing what he has to do to keep his job. Exactly. I mean, this is a part of his job. He does know the rules and I get it, but it still sucks. It's just, it's just sucks all around. And he's putting his job at risk if he does any like favoritism and stuff like that. So Very true. Very true. I know. She does not accept that thought of Max Medina that he is just trying to do his job. And she says, oh, yeah, sorry, wouldn't want you to get in trouble with El Duce here. And for those of you who don't know, Lorelai is referencing Benito Mussolini, who was known as El Duce. El Duce. Yes, I'm sorry. I say L is, listen, I'm from Michigan. Sometimes I <laughs> pronounce things weird. Unfortunately, you have a, an Italian speaker on your hands. So L is like Spanish and Il, I-L is Italian. So that's well, why I differentiate. guess what? Lorelai says L. So I'm just quoting she her. She says Il. No, she doesn't. She Il Duce. Well, <laughs> I heard it as L. Listen, leave me alone. <laughs> well, she also goes on to say that this is one more thing that she has to put in her regret file a along with gauchos and i'm bringing that up because i'm here for team gauchos me too i think the same thing every time i hear that line i think i am pro gaucho pants my only problem was that they never had pockets but other than that i loved them agree with the pockets now i sadly did not have them back then in the year 2000 because i don't think that they were super popular back then i think they were later i think i had them in college actually so that would have been in like 04 that's what i was gonna say is that they came back into style when I was in college so we would we were there at the same time because we're pretty much the same age I got a bunch of gauchos in college I still have two pairs of gauchos I wear them all the time so comfortable and they feel so comfortable around my legs but I'm with her on the flash dance phase because that was people wearing dance wear as like fashion clothing as much of the 80s was an error in fashion judgment well none of this sits well with Charleston Charleston as much as I don't really like him in these first few episodes he keeps his cool and he stands by his regard for Chilton and his position there he lets her entire rant and flip out just kind of flow over him and he stays calm. I'm sure he's had more than his fair share of insane parents. Well, that's that. He holds the door open and puts Lorelai in her place and she has no rebuttal, which, as we know, is very rare. We also in this episode learn how early on Lorelai wanted Rory to go to Harvard. It's hard to think about that throughout the upcoming seasons because they're trying to make you believe that Rory wants to go and that Lorelai is chill about it. In that scene, you're right. This pressure was put on Rory very young. So is this what Rory wants to do? Is Chilton a school that she really wants to be at? Well, and look at that rant she gives to Headmaster Charleston where she she puts a lot of herself into that rant quote unquote about rory yeah she literally says we and that's that's telling well lorelei is done she's stumped she's silent she has nothing else she's gonna go find rory they're sitting on the bench together and all lorelei can say is you got hit by a deer it's the most mysterious part of the equation i know <laughs> 
Cut to the next scene, and we see Suki walking up to a house. This is Lucian Mills' house. And I agree with Lucian, Suki. You are being very inappropriate. Totes inappropriate. But it does look like she's holding a glass of what could possibly be Chardonnay. And then she insults his chicken. She smells is too salty. What? I absolutely believe that Suki's character would be able to do that. You know, I agree with you. Well, the Gilmore girls are on their way home. Stop the Jeep. She has to get out and look for this deer. And Lorelai says, just be careful with all the kamikaze deer running around. Just so everyone knows what a kamikaze is. This is referencing the suicide bombers that were specifically from World War II. The Japanese kamikaze. Kind of a bummer when you realize that that's the, that's the kind of a cocktail. Is a kamikaze is a cocktail. Oh, I've never had that cocktail. What's in it? Uh, well, we can Google it right now. <laughs> um, so it's equal parts vodka, triple sec, and lime juice. Actually sounds pretty good. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's how I know the word, but I knew it meant like a bomb, but I didn't know it was suicide bombers from World War II. So they get out and look for the deer, but nowhere to be seen. Of course, that was eight hours ago. Why would the deer still be there? But this does give Lorelai a chance to talk to Rory about what happened today. You know, we just talked about this, but Lorelai actually does kind of bring herself forward and say, look, this is not your personality. And I'm worried that I drove you into this anxiety because I wanted you to go to Harvard. Right. Is it you or is it me? Yeah. And she's very worried about Rory because this isn't like her. It's more like Lorelai. It's not like Rory. So if this is what's going to happen at Chilton, Lorelai is very nervous about pursuing this road to this Harvard goal. Lorelai is actually coming out and kind of self-actualizing and discussing what we had just discussed. I think you were right. I think that Amy was really thinking about the psychology of how this all works out. And she's actually bringing it forth in this scene. And another thing I like about it is that having this discussion with Rory is exactly what Rory needed to jumpstart herself. Rory isn't going to respond to coddling. She's not going to respond to bribery. She's not going to respond to tough love. This was exactly the conversation that she needed to have in order to say, no, you're right. This is my goal. I can do this and I will do this. One reference I do want to point out is, you know, when they're having this conversation, Rory says, you called him El Duce, which, by the way, Rory says El Duce. She does. She's a child. I'm not going to be hard on her about it. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) I kid. I kid because I love. My love is Uh true. I kid with you. But Lorelai says, which means kind sir in Cantonese. Well, I looked it up. Kind sir in Cantonese is actually Xinjiang. Oh, there you go. So now we also know that Lorelai is maybe a little bit racist. Oh, they don't really hide that in that show, but that's a, right. That's a discussion for another episode. Uh, we'll we'll die. We'll die uh, um, <laughs> listeners, just wait. <laughs> just wait. Trust me. For those of you who know, you know. And for those of you who don't know, you'll find out. It's hard to miss. So they finally get back home. 
they're relieved it's a fresh new start for the Gilmores. As Lorelai picks up the mess from the previous study night, they get a phone call. It's Mr. Medina. Oh, in his sexy little voice being all cool and mm-hmm and he says exactly how we feel he believes in rory he knows that rory can catch up he's gonna give her extra credit we're gonna get this done but hold on a minute lorelei it was a pleasure meeting you there she'd been flipping out in the headmaster's office and he still thought it was a pleasure to see her again that's really liking someone well i think that mr medina agrees with lorelei he just can't do anything about it but if he really feels that way, then maybe he shouldn't have such a big D on the paper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Bringing it back around. Oh, my God. <laughs> do, 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 do. Welcome to the Arts and Entertainment Shelf. This is the segment where I list off all of the books, movies, TV, and music referenced in each episode. Wonderful. I love it. In this episode, the music mentioned was Black Sabbath, Steely Dan, Boston, Queen, Mozart, Artie Shaw, the B-52s, Pat Benatar, and Wilco. Jenny, are you familiar with any or all of these bands, or do you have any specific favorites on this list? I mean, I know the names of all of them. They're all familiar to me. I don't really know any of the music of Steely Dan off the top of my head, but I think it's out in the zeitgeist, as they right. say. So if, I do love Mozart. Mozart's a cool dude. Queen, I love. Queen is great. As I said, it would be great to hear on a harp. Pat Benatar. Is that I Love Rock and Roll? Is that Pat Benatar? No, that's Joan Jett. I think Jett. so. Oh, that's Joan Jett. Pat Benatar is still great. B-52s. Saw him live. Loved it. Wilco's great. Wilco's a, a great indie band. They're really fun. When I worked at the General a few years ago before it closed down, they had dinner there once and I was their server. So that was exciting for me. Well, that's really cool. Do you have anything, any strong feelings about Boston or? No, I don't really know anything. I know that there's a band called Boston, but I don't know any of their music unless, you know, of course, it's something that's like out there and then I hear it and I go, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I definitely agree with you about Queen. Absolutely fabulous. Mozart, I don't have a strong feeling about Mozart, but I like Mozart. Of course, he's very important in history, so I still respect that. Um, the B-52s, again, I said I, I told you about how I know the song, but I don't like love the B-52s. It's just, if Love Shack comes on at a wedding, I'm going to dance my dance. I will wake up and be like, today is a B-52s day. I need it. Wow, really? And I'll put on Rock Lobster. I love Rock Lobster. Rock lobster yeah i don't think there's ever been a day of my life where i've woken up in a b-52s mood at the very end here i do love pat benatar i do not care about boston steely dan or black sabbath i think that they could stay in the past i'd be perfectly happy with that what are some pat benatar songs what are some pat benatar songs i need names to like love is a battlefield oh yeah love is a battlefield yeah that's a good one that's a good one heartache to heartache we stand i think that's been a karaoke song of mine oh yeah i've definitely sang it a couple times at karaoke well next on the shelf is literature in this episode the literature or writers that are mentioned are christopher marlowe francis bacon Ben Johnson, 
John Webster, and of course, Shakespeare. Same question. How familiar are you with this list? And do you have any specific favorites? Specific favorite, obviously, of the of that list would be Shakespeare, because, I mean, who are we kidding? Obviously. Christopher Marlowe, I know of, because of the movie Shakespeare in Love. I saw that movie once when it came out and never again. So I have very little memory of that movie. I think I've seen it maybe two or three times. I liked it. It has um, the guy who plays Mr. Darcy in The Good Pride and Prejudice. Colin Firth. Please, listeners, do not send us hate mail. We have an opinion. Ginny and I are both in agreement that the 1998 BBC version of Pride and Prejudice is far superior. (sighs) Shoot. Okay. We're going to slide right by it because it's a Gilmore Girls podcast. This is not a Pride and Prejudice podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it should be a Pride and Prejudice podcast. Any of the other ones? Um, No, I don't think I'd heard of the other ones. Yeah. Yeah, I also have never read any of these guys except for Shakespeare, but, you know, I do enjoy Shakespeare quite a bit. The very specific titles that they mention in this episode, I I talked about how she quotes from Sonnet 116 and things like that. But in this episode specifically, the titles that they mention, the only ones they mention are the Comedy of Airs and Richard III. Are those two that you favor or are familiar with? I've actually never read either one of them. I've never read either one of them either. I saw Midsummer Night's Dream, Hamlet. When I was in high school, we did Hamlet. Read Romeo and Juliet, also at school. Othello. I think there was a movie with Julia Stiles made around this same time of Othello. I remember that. And then, of course, there's the like Leonardo DiCaprio, Romeo and Juliet with Claire Danes. So those are some good ones. But honestly, like I find it hard to just read Shakespeare. They weren't meant to be read as books. They were meant to be seen and experienced as plays. I would always recommend trying to see it rather than just like reading it in a book because it's very hard speaking of julia styles we could also mention 10 things i hate about you oh my gosh yes based on taming of the shrew it's so good with a very young joseph gordon levitt heath ledger before i lose your train of thought i apologize if i miss this but do you have a favorite shakespeare play or sonnet work of shakespeare so my favorite sonnet I mean, I don't know too many other sonnets. The one that Paris quotes in the episode is the one that I also know by heart and that I've loved a long, long time. And then I also loved Midsummer Night's Dream. I think it's really, really fun. Yeah, I think that's why a lot of people like it, because that one is so fun and it can be so whimsical. You just made me remember that one of the other reasons why I really like that sonnet is because the one year my high school had theater... I was a sophomore and there was a senior there and I didn't really know him, but he was really cute and he was super nice. And we were all gathered together, like practicing or like just hanging out, waiting for whatever to happen. And he quoted that sonnet to me, but I don't think he was, even at that moment, I was not getting the feeling that he was trying to be mean or shady or like, (laughs) Or that he genuinely liked me. I think he was being playful and fun. And he knew that he was like a cool, cute senior. And that I was this like lowly sophomore. It was almost kind of like giving that to me. I almost forgot about that. But you helped remind me of that little kind of moment. I don't even remember his name. But if he's listening to this podcast because he's a Gilmore Girls fan. And you remember reciting (laughs) 
sonnet to a poor lowly 15 year old in at mount morris high school then there we go that's really adorable that's really sweet yeah i like the idea that teenagers are reciting sonnets to each other but apart from that sonnet my favorite shakespeare work is much ado about nothing Oh, yeah, that is a good one. It really boils down to the one line where the main female character says, not till God make men out of some other metal. Because I've always loved that. She's just like, bitch, I don't need these guys. I'm fulfilled as a woman. I am fulfilled as a person. Mm -hmm. Stop trying to push these men on me. I don't need them. When I find a man who meets my higher standard, then I will accept one. And that's exactly how I feel about men also. I don't plan on getting married anytime soon because most of the men I've met in my life are not that great. <laughs> and yeah. I kind of wish that they had been made out of something else. I do also like A Midsummer Night's Dream. In terms of one, I used to have Romeo and Juliet memorized. And a part of that was because when I was younger, Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio was out. I was obsessed with Leo DiCaprio. We all were. Titanic came out and my obsession went into overdrive. So the mere fact that he was in Romeo and Juliet meant that I had to memorize Romeo and Juliet from cover to cover. And I did. I couldn't tell you now. Not at all. I was about to be Uh, really impressed. No, 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 no. But when I was... 12 and 13 I did have it memorized oh really it was just a 20 year old trying to hook up with a 14 year old they had a three-day relationship and then they killed themselves (laughs) that's the whole story right I mean Um, it's not it's not a great start well other plays I've seen that I've really enjoyed too are measure for measure Titus Andronicus which is a great play oh I've never seen that I don't think I've even read that or encountered it really That's definitely one of my favorites. And I've seen King Lear, which I wouldn't say is one of my favorites. It was fine. I remember in uh, my senior English class, we acted out in class Macbeth. I do still remember. I think I remember the soliloquy at the end. I do. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps into this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death beautiful yeah well i mean that's not the whole thing i mean there's more to it but any any shakespeare you can remember i think it's major points next on the arts and entertainment shelf is movies and the movie referenced in this show is flash dance oh yeah we already talked about that yeah we sure did <laughs> an exotic dancer slash welder finds love and a scholarship i think <laughs> and a dream and walks on railroad tracks and takes her bra off underneath her sweatshirt. That's it. That's the whole movie. <laughs> and last on the arts and entertainment shelf, TV, Saved by the Bell. We talked about that too. We're both big fans yeah. of Saved by the Bell, or at least we were it, when we were that It went age. on forever and ever and ever. Do you remember the seasons when they worked on the beach? Yes. And Screech was always needing saving. And then he and <laughs> Kelly Kapowski were like going to get married or something. And I was like, what yeah. is happening? And it was well, all. That's it for the arts and entertainment shelf. And that's it for today's episode. Jenny, I want to thank you so much again for coming on my show today. Thank you so much for bearing with me during having to do this over video chat. I know this COVID, it it just sucks and I'm sorry. Thanks so much for bearing through it with me. I hope we can see each other in person again soon. One day inside and normally. And everyone, wear your masks. Wash your hands. 
Listen to what doctors say. Don't listen to what people who are not doctors say. And uh, be safe. And thank you for having me. I had so much fun. This was great. Good. Thanks so much, honey. Thank you, honey. This has been Welcome to Stars Hollow, the podcast. For more episodes, make sure to subscribe to Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. For extra fun, find us on Instagram at at Stars Hollow Pod. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury signifying nothing.